either one of these any good? I don't watch movies. Well, have you heard anything about either one of them? I find it's best to stay out of other people's affairs. You mean you haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these? Nope. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. In this lesson, I'd like to go over words and expressions you can use when you discuss movies with other people. I know everybody loves movies. I love movies. I'm sure you love movies. And there's lots of words that have to do with movies that you might not be familiar with, but they're very good to know if you want to talk about movies with your friends or whoever. No way. Yes way, Ted! Oh, yeah. This is Carla. I'm Simone. Where are you from, honey? Uh, from Walkabout Creek in the Northern Territory. You probably don't know where that is. You're the guy I've been reading about in the paper. The crocodile man. I've been reading about him in the paper. He's like a regular Tarzan. Wrestles crocodiles, eats snakes. Is this your first trip to New York? He wasn't trying to eat me on the spot. He just wanted to grab a hold of me and Take me down for a death roll. A death roll? Yeah. Yeah, see, a croc will grab you. Take you down to the bottom of the water. And roll you over and over and over until you stop kicking. And he'll take you away to his meat safe somewhere. Rock ledge, log, down under the water, jam you under it. Tenderize you a bit. Hundreds of miles, snake-infested swamps. On his hands and knees, he crawled right into Catherine. Straight past the hospital and into the first pub for a beer. <laughs> that story's getting better every time you tell it, Wally. <laughs> Please. What do you want? Where's the girl? Rico's got her at his place. Where exactly is that? Thank you. Stop me fire. You know who that was? Clint Eastwood. Nobody knows nothing. Not even the feds. Somebody knows. Double the price. The girl's gotta die. But no one touches Dundee. He's for me. not like that my first like 10 videos were pretty drab you go you go further back in our catalog we, you can see the evolution you know? i'll be 100 honest with you i i had to start from scratch really man i learned from nothing my buddy i was using my buddy's adobe account for a long time i wasn't paying for anything and sometimes i would get booted out because he'd be on it and it was one of those things that the only way that i started developing any skills is was just to start doing it and going through it for the longest time i had that point where i was like i just don't know if i'm ready but luckily i was blessed with a little bit of the no fear as far as I don't give a shit. They called themselves the Brass Real Brothers instead of the Brassel Bros. And I just joined the crew because they were my buddies and I was like, hey, I want to do this shit. They were like, well, cool, come on. And then I sort of just took it off of my own and now it's kind of all me. I love your content. You got to be close to our age. I'm 37, so right up my alley, you know, that 80s, 90s stuff relate to the, that. The stuff sure. that doesn't really exist anymore that sort of gets made fun of, but there's a special yeah. place in our hearts for it, you know? Ah, this was, okay, yeah, a little bit of history about us. Uh, that's kind of the flagship of this whole thing, is the bracket. It's a month-long thing that happens. It's two movies, and it's just vote for which one you like better, or which one you think fits the dynamic of what we're trying to say. Does it fit the theme the best? Is it your favorite? Is it a better movie, well-made? 
more popular, you know, whatever, all these things come into play on your decision making. And I like to keep it open-ended like that. And so each day just became a new conversation of like, which one? Each round gets a proper amount of time. So if it's kind of a lesser known round, not much conversations happening. But then there's some times where, where a day will come by and you've got great conversation. It's the heartbeat of the group, man. I got buddies that I've added to the group recently. They'll text me like, hey man, when's, when's the buddy cop coming up? a little bit of dead air and we're good to go. All right, here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spitting the Real Shit, uh, the only weekly movie podcast made exclusively by, for, and about the online Facebook group, The Real Shit. Uh, you are catching us on a very special day because this is our 40th episode ever, and we are doubling down to celebrate this milestone with a nostalgic 80s franchise double feature, uh, the 1986 Paul Hogan flagship film Crocodile Dundee and the 1988 sequel, Crocodile Dundee 2. Uh, we discuss the production, story, meaning, and legacy, as well as a hearty round of 80s trivia. Uh, we're also going to talk uh, trailer drops, regime changes for popular franchises, and, of course, buddy cops. Uh, my name is Charlie Thompson, founder, administrator, and bracket master of The Real Shit, and joining me, as always, is my co-host and fellow administrator, the midnight movie maniac himself, Ryland Johnson. What's going on, man? Good day, mates. Uh... <laughs> That's all the Australian accent you're going to get out of that. That's a hard one. That's a hard one to do. <laughs> and Ryan and I are so excited to be sitting down with another fellow content creator, a real shit member and face of the Brass Real Brothers YouTube channel, Bobby Williams. Uh, nice to have you with us, man. How are you, sir? Hey, man, I'm fantastic. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome. I'm stoked. So you started making posts of your videos from YouTube, and we watched it, and we thought it was great, man. And we wanted to uh, have you on the show, just kind of get your opinion about movies, who you are, what you like. We're just so happy to have you on, man, for sure. Ho-ho! Parted people! Bobo here with Brass Real Brothers. Thanks for coming back for some more popcorn! Well, it's time for another episode of Year of the Max. With the new release of Those Who Wish Me Dead. Starring Angelina Jolie, Nicholas Holt, the badass John Bernthal, Finn Little, and Aiden Gillian, our little finger from Game of Thrones. That little twerp. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. You know, you guys are getting out there on Facebook because when I look up certain movie groups, it's not like I had to search for y'all. So that's pretty cool. That's high praise. <laughs> And me and Ryan have been working hard, man, 40 episodes now, so we're glad to have you on. But uh, we had a major trailer drop for another Phase 4 Marvel flick, uh, The Eternals. Captain Rogers and Iron Man are both gone. Who do you think's gonna lead the Avengers? I could lead them. Ryan's the trailer guy. The hot takes, man. What do you think? I was talking to Bobby about this earlier. I'm not too keen on the story of the Eternals, but it looks 
Real interesting. They're going a different route than the mainstream stuff. And they're talking about these Eternals, these older people that have been around for millennia and all this. You got Salma Hayek still looking good. People like me who don't really know what's going on. It doesn't give away too much, which I like. The depictions you get to see the characters, man, were spot on. And, you know, because Marvel takes a lot of the comics almost like from the pages to the screen. Yeah, they'll make a movie-esque, but... They don't switch it around like they did the original Batman movie and made him like this black armored suit. You know, it's like they actually try to make him true to the costumes. And at first I was worried, but they look great, man. And I think that this is all leading to what they refer to in Marvel as the cosmic level. What we do know is that that first universe came to an end for whatever reason. It's time ran out, whatever the case may be. We have no idea. But the first universe was replaced with the second universe. Second universe came to an end. The third universe replaced the second universe and so on and so forth, where previously it was just a singular universe, universe one, two, three, four, five, and six. When the seventh universe was born, it also gave birth to the multiverse. And this multiverse is just an infinite number of universes. Whereas we've been kind of on the street level for a long time. It's been Iron Man, it's been Captain America, it's been guys like that, but they've been leading with the Guardians and all that. But I think this whole next phase is going to be really cosmic, even with like the multiverse being involved with Spider-Man and all that. And Eternals is really going to show you a lot of stuff from like old days that connects with what you know now. It's a really cool storyline that only existed for two runs in the comic book. We had member uh, Andrew Edwards on a couple weeks ago. He was a tried and true comic book fan are you cut from the same cloth my last full-on like avidly collecting every wednesday going to the comic shop and get my stuff was when civil war was a huge thing that and house of m i'm 10 years back as far as knowing about current stuff sure. but up until about 10 years ago i collected since i was i could remember so thumbs up on the marvel cinematic universe very much so, man. I'm I'm really happy. Yeah, there's a there's a dud occasion, not a dud. I don't want to say a dud, but I feel like there's a couple of black sheeps, you know, that like yeah. maybe there was a misfire on this one. As a whole, I'm wildly satisfied. They're kicking DC's ass for sure. It's just amazing to see what Marvel has put out compared to DC, but now with the quality, it's like pathetic to look at the catalog of DC's and how not good most of it is, and then look at Marvel's how big it is and how great it all is. <laughs> So this is a movie group. We are very movie-centric. You can't avoid the fact about WandaVision and Loki and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. These are television shows. Do you think the future of Marvel is in the television format? I don't. I think that it's part of it. They're doing two things, in my opinion. I think what they did for Wanda, Vision, Falcon, and Bucky is that we knew those characters and we had seen them in a lot of movies, but we have never had any true origin development for them to truly love them like we loved Cap. Thor, Tony, all those guys. And I think now, Wanda, I know her. When something big happens with them and to them in the movies, you can care now. That's a good point, man. I, I totally agree. If they keep doing stuff like that, then I don't think they have to worry about burning out. The goal is to have three Spider-Man trilogies. So one what? while he's a teenager, one while he's like a teacher and kind of up and coming, and then one where he actually puts Parker Industries into place. Who are you? All right, people, let's do this one last time. My name is Peter B. Parker. I was bitten by a radioactive spider, and for the last 22 years, I thought I was the one and only Spider-Man. Rylan, what did I tell you back in 2012, man? It's a fucking <laughs> virus, man. It's just going to infect everything. Our next talking point that brings it up, I mean, Amazon just bought out MGM, so we got to talk about that. As a movie fan, I mean, GM is sacred, man. I mean, that's yeah. Metro Goldwyn Mayer, man. That's, that's Louis B. Mayer. Like, that's the old guard, man. And now you got Jeff Bezos, who's now the owner of MGM UA. United Artists also. Charlie Chaplin, Frank Capra, those people mm -hmm. made United Artists. Now that's white. Now it's just Amazon Studios. That's chump change for Amazon. I mean, literal chump change. It makes me wonder if they were in some kind of trouble, though, because I did hear words for a while now that they were trying to sell No Time to Die to yeah. Amazon and all these different streaming services to try to make some money because they were worried. Now it's going to come out again in November, I think, or whatever. But that just makes me wonder if MGM, they were like financially in some sort of bad shape. You know what I mean? A whole shebang. And, and like I said, Bond's my boy. That What I did read into it was the Broccoli's, no matter what, they kept the theatrical releases for the Bonds. They're not going to take that away. So just I've watched every one since, God, I think it was GoldenEye, maybe the, maybe the one after. But 
draws us back together. Now your enemy is my enemy. Every one of them is like a bigger and better spectacle they do, especially the opening scene, you know. Yeah. Do you think they're going to do, since Amazon's buying it, can you see them doing Bond TV shows? Oh, my uh, God. Oh, my yeah. God. It's a fucking virus. It's a fucking virus. <laughs> I'm not even going to front, man. I know nothing about James Bond. But besides uh, all that, guys, we also have bracket news, guys. Uh, this is airing the day the first round of the bracket starts. And it's the Buddy Cop bracket. Uh, you are an 80s fanatic I've seen on your content, uh, Bobby. What are your thoughts on, on the Buddy Cop genre in general? Love it, man. I'm all about it. Now, are we talking about... All buddy cops, so like buddy cop comedies, buddy cop actions, buddy cop action comedy. We're exploring the possibilities. Oh, I'm all about it. Carly, we got to ask him the, the golden question, which is, is seven a buddy cop movie? <laughs> well, let me tell you, people don't want a chance. They want to eat cheeseburgers, play the lotto, and watch television. Hey, how did you get like this? I want to know. <sighs> it wasn't one thing, I can tell you that. You know what? The reason I would say it is, is because they're thrown together as partners. There's a lot of ties to a buddy cop genre, yeah. but the tone of that movie, I'm like, bro, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. But even then, there's one-liners in it. Brad Pitt's got yeah. a few yeah. one-liners, you know? So, I mean, I think it's barely a buddy cop. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what does Bobby think represents the buddy cop genre to its fullest? I mean, I think that for me, it's got to be Lethal Weapon 1. But that's just because it's the first one I ever saw. I'm still here, asshole. What do you only do, kids? Shut up! I'm sure there's got to be some before that. I mean, there had to be some buddy cop movies in the 70s, you know, Starsky and Hutch, stuff like that, but not as cool as Riggs and Murtaugh. We had uh, a Pixar bracket, and the final came down to Wally and Toy Story. Do you give the OG his due, or do you do you really look at these critically and say, Wally's obviously the better made movie, better story told, better allegory for life in general, you know, that kind of thing, where Toy Story was just a a monument to the technology. <laughs> it, it's all about perspective, though. You know? yeah. That's what we love about the real shit, man. Yeah, it's just it's just a fun little game, man. Charlie, speaking of games, are you down for a game, Bobby? I'm down for a game. Hello. You don't know me, but I know you. I want to play a game. This week we're doing trivia, which is a very rare instance on this show. We're not big posturers, like, like nerd flexing, you know, stuff like that. And so we have this little game. It's easy. It's just it's simple. Just trying to guess the year of the popular 80s film. Are you ready, fellas? Ready. Oh. Bobby, as our guest, I would love to hear your four movies that you've selected. Are we buzzing, Charlie? Or what are we doing for our... Uh, I'll say, uh, I'll say ding. What are you going to say, Ryland? I'll say dong. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, let's do it, Bobby. All right, so I'm going with one of my favorite classics of all time that started a whole new genre of slashers, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. Ding. I heard ding first. Uh, that would be 1984. Beautiful. For real. Um, all right, so uh, how about Crocodile Dundee Part 2? Dong. Ding. All right, I heard dong. <laughs> oh man, we'll see. I know the first one was in '86, and the second one's in '88. Did I get it right? <laughs> you did get it right. You did get it right. You know, I'm reading like three things at once, and I look at something, and I second guess myself, even though I knew that. I know. I was like, I've already done my research. I hope, Bob. Right? Shit. I better know when Crocodile Dundee Two came out. Fright Night. Uh, dong. Hey. All right, I heard dong. Uh, I'm gonna Fright Night. I'm gonna say '80. Uh, 87. Oh, that is the wrong answer. It was 85. It was 85. Uh, All right, so how about the original Batman? That's too easy. Uh, that's that's a sacred cow here on this show. Uh, oh, see, that's something I'm learning about you guys, because there's some people that like, wait, there was another Batman in the 80s? Because they've only seen Dark Knight. I tried not to go too niche, but I was like, I can't throw out Batman 89. I can't throw out Back to the Future. Uh, let's, let's erase <laughs> that last one, since that one was just so easy. For sure. All right. So what's so funny is that like a lot of these that I'm thinking in my head, it's like they got to be 80s and they're just, they, they're not. It really makes you second guess like your memories, doesn't it? It truly uh, does, man. And, and yeah. my memories are terrible. All right, here we go. 
Cobra with Stallone. Song. I got you, baby. 85? No. Ah. I know I'm close. 86. I already knew where I was close. I was like, I know it's one year up. <laughs> Do you guys like the, the, the that style of uh, Stallone film, or is that just too cheeseball oh. over the top? I love it. It's dark, man. I like that movie. I ain't no psycho, man. I'm a hero. You're looking at a fucking hunter. I'm a hero of the new world. You're a disease. And I'm the cure. Die! Sylvester Stallone has a ceiling for me. Like he, he, he can only reach so far, in my opinion. Uh, but as far as he can reach, in my opinion, is Rocky. Let's shoot him up. When it comes to Stallone, you're like, you're kind of just okay on Stallone? Like, he's a moneymaker, man. Like, he can get the fucking bills paid. He made a career out of that macho, tough guy deal. Even his subdued stuff, you know, kind of like Oscar. Rocco the rum runner rubbed out Rico the rat with his Roscoe for robbing his rum running receipts. Can you say that? Rocco the rum runner rubbed out Rico the rat with his Roscoe for robbing his rum running receipts. You did it. Sure, you'll finally come up with something that makes sense. He branches out in that one. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, and the beauty about that film is it actually is all filmed in the house and like in two, uh -huh. two different rooms almost the whole movie. I remember being a kid and being so blindsided by Oscar. I looked at my dad and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> right, and it's a Landis film to boot, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got macho all over that motherfucker, you know? Jesus Christ, I didn't realize it was a Landis film. Yeah, John Landis directed that thing. He just couldn't direct anything good after he had that Twilight Zone accident. And that's a that's a thing I learned like less than five years ago, where all that, all spies like us, Blues Brothers, Trading Places, all that gets tainted. People just don't throw his name out there like they would. If that wouldn't have happened, he would have been referred to like John Hughes. I don't quite know how to get into this subject, but um, what's being called the Twilight Zone trial, as we are sitting here now, is taking, uh, taking place. And this is a case where three people were killed in the making of a film. And uh, I think, as far as I know, isn't this trial unprecedented in... Uh, this sort of thing and people being held accountable for the deaths of performers. I think he had a voice, but I think he just went a little bit too bombastic with it. He maybe pissed a couple of people off, but that's him. That's who he is. You know, James Gunn, he's, he's another one of those fucking gunslingers. I remember the writing in Dawn of the Dead being good and then hearing that he did it. Yo, so he wrote the remake? He wrote the remake, the 2004. Snyder, you know, I'm, I'm you know, not, again, not trying to get off track, but Snyder, I definitely love Snyder. I was pretty pleased with the, the Snyder cut. I do think there are some parts where it could have still been tightened up. Uh, overall, I was pleased with it, but I am worried that he's starting to make his movies too long. I think that's the way of the epic Marvel film or DC film. I think I think those are going to be the standards in a few years. Endgame, that worked for being that long, three hours long or whatever, because it was a culmination. It was the, the end game. Avengers! Assemble. At some point, I think you lose the cadence when you start going too long. Certain things need to be, you know, when we talk about the movie here that we're going to be talking about, I think that one of the things that works for it is the pace and the, the, the length. And I'm not saying that I need movies to be short because I want movies to be long. But like, I think Justice League Snyder Cut probably could have been like better at like 315, 320. The Aquaman scene with the girls are singing. It's like, I didn't need to watch them sing for a minute. Things like that, I think that could have kept that flow better. But I mean, again, this is all opinion. I don't need movies to be long just to be long. And I don't need them to be short just to be short. I need them to be what they need to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Same way of thinking. Ryland, let's do this. Trivia. All right. Who's going to be Dong? Bobby will be Dong. <laughs> I'll be Dong. I'm all about Dong, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick with our current or upcoming bracket, and I'm going to go Buddy Cop. Lethal Weapon 2, gentlemen. Ding. Oh. 1989. Ding, 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 ding. I remember that one just because Batman, and that was the same year. That was the softball, guys. It's going to get harder from here. All right. I'm going to go with uh, Tron. Jeff Bridges. Yeah, young Jeff Bridges. Dong. No, I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going 80. 80 on the dot. Incorrect. Oh. I would just be throwing something at a wall. Um, uh, 1982. Wow, man. You're just lucky today, aren't you? 82, man. So I'm going to go with uh, this one's probably the most off the wall one. That's probably not well known, but it's my most recent obsession right now. I got to catch it. I haven't seen it yet, but it is The Wraith. Gone. Uh, okay. I'm going 86. Yeah, you got it. 86. 86. Yeah. 
I don't know when's the last time y'all have seen that, but man. I, I saw a guy post something on, on the page, and it's got cars, cool cars, and fucking drag racing. Last one, fellas. Ready? We're gonna, and I'm gonna throw out the last dragon, the last dragon. Who's the master? Show enough. Oh, you know yes. Uh, ding, ding. I heard a ding. I heard a ding, Charlie. Okay, uh, it's uh, 1986. Incorrect. Uh, 85. Which nailed it. Man, I watched that one, I want to say, less than two years ago. The first time I ever saw it. I was like, what a kabuki little movie this thing is. Yeah. So it was one of my, my childhood favorites. Being such a huge martial artist fans, I was just catching everything I could. And that one was definitely out there. But, you know, it had Bruce Leroy, baby. I mean, what a great character. <laughs> <laughs> Leroy! Bruce Leroy's the shit. They still had the quality of kung fu you were looking for. It was just a little bit more catchy. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to say it, man. And six special effects for 1985. The glow. Oh, yes. These <laughs> any effects from back then that, like, when we were like amazed by, it's like not only do they not hold up, but it's laughable. <laughs> All right, Charles, what do you got? I, I'm going to take over your ding. You can stay dong there, Bobby. <laughs> Thank you. I was I was worried that somebody was going to take my dong. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna go with Chevy Chase, Fletch. Oh, I love Fletch, but I can't remember. I'm guessing. I'll guess and say 83. Incorrect. Ah. Bobby. It feels like 83, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go 84. Uh, incorrect. It was 85. Next up is uh, Risky Business, early Tom Cruise. Oh. Uh. Dong. I'm going. I'm trying to think Top Gun and Risky Business and all that it was all like right at the same time. So I'm saying, I'm saying 84. So close. 83. <sighs> but man, being one year off, not fucking bad, dude. Like for real. Like do not beat yourself up at all. It's, it's time to play, guys. Roadhouse. Oh, dong. Dong. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you trying to steal his dong? I'm going 87. Incorrect. Rylan. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be so mad at myself if I get this wrong, but it's 89, isn't it? It is correct. 89. Oh, damn. And I should have known that because I was I wouldn't have been into boobies in 87 yet. What's great about that movie for me is, is that I grew up wanting to watch it because I'd accidentally seen parts of it on HBO when my grandma or somebody else was watching it. And it's like, oh, there's boobies. And then from then on out, it was like a quest. Like in my head, it was like Roadhouse is the movie with boobies. And then after watching it and being kind of over the boobies after a little while, then I was like, oh, wait a minute. This guy Dalton's awesome. Sorry, we're closed. Well, what are all these people doing here? Drinking and having a good time. Well, that's why we're here. You're too stupid to have a good turn. And then it became like one of my favorite movies and Patrick Swayze, you know, God rest his soul. He's a badass in that. Splash. What year did Splash come out? Dang. I'm going to go 84. Correct. Riley. Oh, man. And you said that with perseverance, too. Yeah. I, I don't know. It just... There's some movies in my head that I'm just like, I remember, you know? Now, do you own a copy of Splash? Because what I was going to say is if you do and you've had it for a while, then you're you're good because you still got Daryl Hannah's button there. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus and they took it out. Oh, how dare you. And if there's any new copies that are made of it, it's taken out. So just let you know. That's a little. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. But but thank you so much for playing our little game, man. We love trivia. Thank you. You are entirely welcome. And now, let us all go to my house for a little sponge cake and a little wine and shit to the lumberyard. But we have two more movies to talk about before we leave here tonight, fellas. And that is our 80s double feature with the Paul Hogan-led Crocodile Dundee series, the first two entries. He was raised in the land down under, where a man thinks on his feet speaks with his fists and lives by his wits. Two beers, all right? 
One for me, one for me, mate. <laughs> a legendary figure about to encounter a world more treacherous than any he has ever known. G'day. Big Dundee from Australia. How are you? I'm fine, how are you? Just going down for a couple of days. Probably see you around. Bye. This is your first trip to New York. First trip anywhere. Well, we might just have to give you one for free. <laughs> yeah. One what? How are you finding New York? A bit of a lunatic or something. That's why I love it, because I fit right in. G'day. Hello. Sorry. G'day. Well, if you can manage, Wal, I'd like to stay a while. Wouldn't have anything to do with a certain lady writer, would it? Paramount Pictures presents... Your pal, Senor Meek. Paul Hogan. Um, hey, my man, what's happening? Uh, wait. As Crocodile Dundee. You got a light, buddy? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And your wallet. He's got a knife. <laughs> a knife? Crocodile Dundee. Our theme here on the show, Bobby, is that we let the guest pick the movie. And so we are curious as to what prompted you to want to watch Crocodile Dundee again. Love 80s. 80s is just, to me, partly because that was when I was a kid, so many great memories, I'm sure. But to me, there's just something, and I think a lot of people can agree about it, about the music and sentiment from that time that was just like no other. decade has its own thing but there's something special about the 80s and music and cinema and i think that with back to the future and goonies and indiana jones and just all these great wow memorable popcorn movies from that time that really broke barriers and all that i think right. that crocodile dundee is too often forgotten about i think it's a little too overshadowed every time i watch it it's not that it's like oh this was a good movie it's like no it holds up the music is really cool in it. He's a badass in it. I think that people forget how cool he is, especially in part two. And Linda, Cl uh, well, I can't ever say Kozlowski. I was going to ask, man, my my 80s babe is Elizabeth Shue. That's just my babe. So who is your 80s babe of all time? Who do you got, man? It was definitely Demi Moore. But the the one that this is fun and obsessed with this lady, Al Pacino's girl, Beverly D'Angelo. We're not really violent people. This is our first gun. <laughs> no, it isn't. I'm more of a Dana Delaney kind of guy. Oh, yeah. yeah no, and, I... So, yeah. So... <laughs> oh, he's laughing. I didn't think you ever laughed. Yeah, I, I laugh sometimes. Yes, but how often? Are you happy? Am I happy? Well, I don't know. I'm happy as the next man, I guess. I don't laugh all day long like an idiot, if that's what you mean. I'm touchy about it, aren't you? No, I'm not touchy. I just... It's a silly question is all. Am I happy? Are you happy? Are you happy? No, I'm always happy. Unless I'm bored. But I want to know your first memory of Crocodile Dundee. I don't think that I actually saw this in the theater, but really one of our neighbors was babysitting me and I was younger. And I remember multiple times, and I don't know if it was just being aired on HBO or something that she had. And I think maybe I just kept seeing part two over there. I saw part two before I saw part one. There was just something about it. Something, I don't know if it was because I was having to stay this lady and like, oh, I get to watch this movie at least. And maybe I just gained a love for the movie at the time. But then as I watched it over time, I, I loved it more. But as a kid, like I saw this before I saw Indiana Jones. I never expected to see you again. I'm like a bad penny. I always turn up. Uh, oh boy, here, here we go, here we go, hold on. We, we gotta know. Oh man, that is so fucking hard. If somebody, gun to my head, said you can only watch one for the rest of your life, it would definitely be Raiders. I'm a Last Crusade guy. To me, it's a shame. I'm one of those guys that can enjoy part four. I think there's a ton wrong with it, but 
I, it's a shame they didn't just didn't stop it at three because it would have been this awesome like can do no wrong trilogy. They're all different movies, but yeah, and now you got to keep fucking with it now. Yep. Yep. Now you got to change the past and do all kinds of yeah. It's just... Yeah, like like it, it was perfect and you fucked with it. Power over the mind of men. Be careful, you might get exactly what you wish for. I usually do. I was just going to say one more thing about Crocodile Dundee. That was one of the first cool dudes that I remember wanting to be like. Like, oh, he's so cool. You know, Crocodile Dundee. Rylan, what are your first memories of uh, Crocodile Dundee? You know, I was going to mention that, too. I think I'm I'm like such a sequel kid. I was born in 83. Ghostbusters 2 is the one I kind of, you know, it's not the better one, but it's the one I gravitated towards. Same with Temple of Doom. I didn't notice until I rewatched them. I was like. Man, I was more watching two as a kid more than I was watching the original, which the original to me is way better than two. Oh, well, you can live on it, but it tastes like shit. It's funny how when I look back at kind of the era I grew up in, I'm like a sequels kid. I mean, Back to the Future 2 is my favorite. So, yeah, I remember it was a rental. Definitely. We were a blockbuster family every weekend. So I remember my dad thinking like you did that Paul Hogan was just a cool fucking guy. You know, he's a funny dude, man. I I watched his uh, Oscar speech and he was killing it. This is my first time at the Academy Awards. I usually watch it on television. And for that reason, I've been asked to come out here and speak to my peers on behalf of the television audience. Um, g'day, peers. Uh, this is, uh, of course, the big event of show business. And the atmosphere here is pure electricity. But as a television show, it does tend to go slightly off the boil, um, particularly as we drift into the third and fourth hour. What can we do about it? Firstly, uh, winners, when you make your speech, it's a good tip to remember the three G's. Be gracious, be grateful, get off. I've got to talk about, I did not know how much they spent on this movie versus what it made. That blew my fucking mind. My quick notes of one and two, you know, 86 and 88. Paul Hogan comes up and, and he pretty much writes the whole thing. He wins a Golden Globe for Best Actor for the first one. Um, it wins Best Comedy. $8.8 million. Here's $8.8 million. Okay, I'm going to give you back $175 in the U.S. Yeah. and then $328 million worldwide. Jesus Christ. A lot of times studios will sort of collaborate and decide, let's go forward with something. But I think that this was one of those ones that crept its way in. And what's crazy is Top Gun and eked it out just a little bit. So it was second highest next to Top Gun that year. $8.8 million in, in Hollywood and getting back 300 million that's just unheard of man two comes along two years later and it you know it definitely looks like a normal 80s sequel or like bigger better let's throw some jugs in there all sorts of craziness and it was 14 million budget and then it makes 109 domestic and then it's you know 239 million worldwide so this thing is a half a billion dollar franchise that's fucking insane retained its love over the years but i do think that seasonally things will get mentioned at christmas or at halloween or summertime oh remember when this came out or you know jaws is always being talked about every year but i don't ever hear this one being talked about and it was a big deal when it came out Uh, my first memories of this film were always in pieces because my family had uh, the showtime channel and so it was just movies, just nonstop, it was just, you know, it was just broadcasting movies. And so I would always click on the TV and I would always catch it on the transition from Australia to New York, you know, and always see the I Love Lucy TV scene. Those memories were the things that I always remembered. But I watched Crocodile Dundee too. I've never seen this film. I've only seen the first Crocodile Dundee. I guess I was just kind of like, yeah, that was a fun little story and just kind of moved on. And then they made a sequel and I was like, do I really want to see more of that guy? Just a second. Yeah. Mick. Oh, sir, you should say the Mick, listen, this is really important. I'm in a lot of trouble. Did you check the mail today? Yeah, why? Was there a letter from me from Columbia? Uh, hang on a sec. Columbia. Yeah, I got it here. I think that's what a lot of people thought that about the second movie, not knowing how different of a film it was going to be than the first one. But I think that Crocodile Dundee 2 matches Hogan's spirit more. 
I just rewatched both of them today, so I'm just fresh. Growing up as a kid, like I said, I watched two more often. But man, one has just got that magical, you know, just he's just such a laid back, charming, loving character. And that love story as well. We'll get into why one and two are different a little later. But, you know, I just think the first one captured that mystique and that appeal to uh, Paul Hogan. And, and it just took off. And it's a great story. A classic fish out of water story, of course. Let's, uh, let's start with the opening of Crocodile Dundee. Cold open, which is different. Sue, I'm not complaining about your work. I have your latest piece right here in front of me, and it's terrific. It's great. It's just that uh, you were due back here yesterday. Yeah, but Richard, there's one more story I just have to do. There's always one more story. No, but would you listen to this? Last month, this guy in the Northern Territory was attacked by a crocodile. The thing bit his leg right off, left him there to die a hundred miles from nowhere. A week later, he crawls out of the bush, gets patched up, and disappears. No interviews, no pictures, nothing. So? I tracked him down. You know, it, but there's no Paul Hogan yet. It's just kind of hearsay as to who he is. Creating this lore about this character that it's like the opening song to a concert. You, you know, you're waiting for the singer to pop out at that moment for the first time, and that's kind of how they're building this character up. Generals gathered in their masses. Just like witches at black masses Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction I wrote a quick note. I was like, dude, her apartment's sick. <laughs> Opening mm -hmm. scene, I'm like, damn, she's doing pretty well as a journalist. And so the story is very easy to absorb. You know, like, that's what I like about the film. This is the person you're about to see. And then you see the person. You see the boyfriend. You see these characters come into play. She puts it on Front Street. She wants to go see this guy out in this outback. You see these articles in the paper, this mythology of this guy. And then we finally get to Australia. You meet uh, Walter. Yeah, Walt yeah. Wally. Wally. Yeah, and, and so he's kind of like the C-3PO of uh, Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Oh, I uh, I took the liberty of booking you into our hotel. I, I trust that's in order. Sounds just fine. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's just uh, one other thing. Uh, you did say that you were prepared to pay the $2,500? Absolutely. You don't know if you believe everything he says, but he's, he is a good guy. And yeah, dude, he's, he's a good hype man, too. Then we see Crocodile Dundee for the first time walk into the bar. The idea was is to feel the way that she was feeling when you first see him. You're just like, oh, this shit, this is not what I was expecting, but he might be even cooler. I wrote, uh, who's more tan, him or George Hamilton? <laughs> Michael J. Crocodile Dundee. Never, never. Safaris. And I want to say that Linda Kozlowski, I mean, besides being an absolute stunning woman, she absorbs the story well. She doesn't, like, have wild, crazy reactions to stuff. She's just kind of taking it as it comes at her. And from the jump, she's giving him the, the old buffalo eye. Crocodile Dundee, dude's got swag, man. He's, he's just pimp from the get-go. He scooped her up in real life. He's got to be charming in real life. Married her after this first film. He was like, yeah, she'll be mine now. The whole second film, they're together, and then they got married in 1990, but they divorced in 2013. What every Australian woman would like to ask you is, what is Paul Hogan like as a husband? He's great as a husband. He's, you know, I mean, a lot of American people thought, oh, you're marrying an Australian and they have this reputation to be chauvinist or macho or anything. And he's great. You know, you don't know as an audience member yet if this guy is some badass or if he is just sleazeball, just trying to look good walking around with stuffed alligators. You don't know quite yet. Out of the way, Dobie! They get out of the vehicle and they just start going on a walkabout. And the first thing they see are the poachers. Them in their jeeps just shooting at the kangaroos. And so then we get the uh, Paul Hogan gag, I guess it is, where I guess he hollows out a kangaroo and puts a gun in it, shoots at them thinking that they're shooting at the kangaroo, which is a huge Paul Hogan move, I've noticed. The old switcheroo. He does the switcheroo and he does it again in the second one. Hey, Trevor, Trevor, get the spotlight over here, man. Hey, the spotlight. I have to see where you're aiming. Shut up! <laughs> Not on me, you silly bugger on the bushes. Hey, hey, look at this big cheeky bugger. Right, got a gun. 
So then we get to the famous, I realized I was hitting puberty whenever I saw this scene where the next morning she goes out on her own. She has a little canteen around her neck. She's wearing a little shawl around her waist. She needs to refill her canteen. And so she's getting in the water, but she takes off her little waist shawl. She's wearing this onesie, fellas, that is insane. And you really soak it in. Like, they really focus on her for a good five, six seconds. nowhere this giant crocodile comes out i think that works well because if you're a dude you're like looking at the ass and you're into it and then that's then you just get so caught off guard again with the switcheroo the old rope dope you know a great cinematic trope and he does it well he just adds more to the mystique of this guy and how he's a hero it's during this time she has this revelation she wants to take him to new york and you know it's funny to see that juxtaposition not only is he supposed to be out of his element but you as the audience member see just how out of his element he is and they do a really good job at portraying that i think he's talking to everybody trying to be cordial with new yorkers that are all pissy good night mick dundee from australia how are you i'm fine how are you i think I'm good with this guy this guy's out for a couple of days probably see you around <laughs> bye the second that you get into new york space it's that fish out of water story and each beat just seems so natural for him at least the way he would approach people the way he would just try to conversate break that personal space that people don't usually do in new york you know they kind of keep to themselves and i definitely think that the movie has like a little underlying message and tone to just try to say hey sometimes stop and smell the roses well what do you think oh it's a bit rough but i'll manage all right how many of us stay in here? Oh, just you. I've got my own apartment downtown. That's the biggest takeaway I got from these films. It's not all just go, go, go. You really have to soak it in. You really have to enjoy it. But then we get to see the, the boyfriend of Sue at the time. I mean, he's one of those guys that looks like Judge Reinhold or something, you know? But <laughs> yeah, he's, he's playing that everyman, that Judge Reinhold. You're right. He likes music. And you know what? Maybe one day he'll be a big star. And you ask him to come back here and give out prizes and stuff, and maybe he just won't because the way you dumped on him. He kind of sees what's going on, this natural magnetism that's happening between these two. And he's getting a little shitty. And then Crocodile Dundee gets a little shitty back. You know, like the hero making that jab and still being justified in it. But, I mean, he was so cool about it in the restaurant. He's like, ah, see what she's having over there? <laughs> Literal jab. <laughs> but he's not being the appealing guy he's being crocodile dundee that's what he would do in that situation and so they drop him off in the cab and this is when crocodile dundee really starts to get going in my opinion where he he's kind of on his own he's a, he's a knight on the town he asks the cabbie who's dropping him off if he wants to go to a bar they go to this bar and it's it's such mid-80s new york and i love it you can't recreate that in set design and so you get to see you know all the walks of life the cross-dressers all the stereotypes that come around yet literal pimps and hoes you know in the film you know how he absorbs that information how he sees these ladies so true and genuine it's, it's undeniable i can see why audiences just flock to it you know we working tonight and we socializing hey pal I was just talking to the ladies and making a bit of progress. Are you gonna talk all night, my man? Are you gonna screw one of them? I can still watch it, and it doesn't make me feel like I'm watching an 80s movie. The production of it, it still holds up well, and the score for the movie is good for the theme and him, in my opinion. I love the score. It's comforting, but it's mysterious mm -hmm. all at the same time, you know? And did right. you notice the Reginald Vell Johnson cameo? Yeah. And driving another limo, just like in Die Hard. What? No, he was the police officer. The limo driver was the younger dude. You're That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That's Die Hard knowledge. I'm ashamed, dude. I have all of them on Blu-ray. 
Sorry, Hans, wrong guess. That scene with Family Matters' uh, dad where he throws the, the boomerang. Every time I saw one of those as a kid, I, I thought of that scene. Every fucking time. I was like, yeah, that guy breaks it off and throws it like a boomerang. Yeah, in case shit pop off in this motherfucker, I know that I can grab that boomerang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, he's got your back, man. And anybody who can put up with Urkel for however many years, can he's a good man. Three, two, one. <laughs> one, two, three. What the heck is bothering me? <laughs> we got to talk about the infamous, that's not a knife scene. You got a light, buddy? Yeah, sure, kid. There you go. And your wallet. Nick, give him your wallet. What for? He's got a knife. <laughs> That's not a knife. That's a knife. It seemed like a reshoot almost. Like it, it seems so just kind of put in there. I think they were like, man, uh, we got to show this big ass knife again. That's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> I tell you what, though, when they start making out, I don't know if you noticed, but man, he gets him a full on ass grab. I, I saw that, too, man. I saw that. That Linda Kozlowski, though, man. I'd make a move, too, man. Hell yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, at the end, I bet chiropractors really had a great time fixing those backs. New Yorkers, especially, be like, get the fuck off of me. You know? Oh, he'd get thrown. That's a good point, but I always looked at it from a point of major ego from Paul Hogan. Yeah. Like, he has the power to captivate an entire city. The cop, he, anybody that comes in contact with him, they feel like they're his best friend. When he was in the bar, he was just telling stories, and everybody was crowded around. He was, like, giving handshakes to everybody that liked him. You know, people trust him. So it's basically a Sandler film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's Mr. Deeds. Didn't feel that. Isn't that awesome? Go ahead. Nothing. Yeah, I know. I know you're starting to like it, aren't you? Chop that wood. Yeah, that's it. Ah! You're sick! You're sick! Why would you do that to me? I'm just kidding you, pal. <laughs> and so that was Crocodile Dundee, guys. We usually do a star rating here, Bobby. If you're going to give this a rating out of 10 stars, what would you give Crocodile Dundee? I'm that guy that has been known to be overly accepting movies. I'm not critical enough, but I like to be straight up and... I don't find a lot wrong with this movie. So for me, it's a 10. I couldn't pick anything apart from it that just maybe, oh, that's a bad part of this movie. Oh, that doesn't work. Like everything works for me. It is kind of classic. Ryland, what do you think about uh, Crocodile Dundee? Looking back at, like I said, the numbers it did, the budget, like that blew me away. Having Paul Hogan be the writer, obviously the star of it, for what he pulled off is just amazing. Uh, definitely the better of the two. I'm going to give this an 8.3. Like Bobby said, there's not a lot wrong with it. I love the score. I love the feel of it. The fish out of water story is always fun. And Paul Hogan is just so fucking charming. And I wish he would have done more. I don't know if he just made so much fucking money off these two sequels and was like, I'm good. I'm going to go uh, hang out with Kozlowski the rest of my life. So he did try to make some other movies. Like there was like My Angel or something. Yeah, or... there's not much after that. Y'all are tripping right now. Have you seen Lightning Jack? Paul Hogan's back. As Lightning Jack. I just know I'm good. Real good. And he's teaching his new partner everything he knows <laughs> about gunplay. Get out, Ben! Horseplay. And foreplay. Ow. Paul Hogan, Cuba Gooding Jr. Lightning Jack. Rated PG 13. Dude, like I said, I'm a Showtime kid. That thing aired on Showtime all the time. Like I said, I, I saw it in pieces, and this is literally, fellas, the first time I've seen it from bell to bell. But like you guys said, I literally can't find an argument for anything wrong. The cinematography was great, but it, it does have that hokey spirit. For all of its great pop culture stuff, I can't give it that great of a score based on the critical thinking. So I'm going to go with a 6.7 on Crocodile Dundee. A 6. Point what, Charlie? 7. Uh... There's just something about this movie for me, and it, a lot of it could be nostalgia. You know what I mean? For sure. My friends are always telling me, you like everything. It's like, I don't think it deserves an Oscar. I just like it for what it was. And I love it. And that's totally the way we like to do our whole thing, too. So y'all ready to do the sequel, guys? Let's do number two.
world's favorite adventurer is back for more. Mick! Yeah? You're back! Yeah? You're back! Yes, what? I missed you. I know. The drinks are on the house. <laughs> more action. More excitement. Don't try to stop me. I'm gonna stop you, I just wanna get past. I'm about to throw myself off this building. Uh, would you mind getting a move on? I'm, I'm on my lunch break. More fun. Now, mate. What did he say? He wants to know if we're allowed to eat these men. Mm. And more of everything. What's he like in bed? I don't know, he still sleeps on the floor. Paul Hogan is... Michael J. Crocodile Dundee. Hey, Sarge. I might have known it would be you. This New York fist, Sarge. They won't take a bite. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee 2. Two years after the release of Crocodile Dundee, the sequel, aptly named Crocodile Dundee 2, was released. And from the get-go, when I started watching this film, it's just kind of recycled. But the first scene is kind of ingenious, where he's fishing in the Hudson River. Fishing with dynamite. The cops come up. The cops love him. They just let him go. Oh, you know, he's, Mick. He's, he's great with kids. He's just such a fucking all-around guy. He's in New York City, and he's just the bell of the ball. <laughs> if that part wasn't in the movie, I think that it would make the tone of the movie better. Like, that part adds a first impression. It's like, oh, look what he's been up to, you know? Right. I can sit through a lot of films, but this one was just so egotistical in my opinion it was very like isn't paul hogan just the greatest fucking guy in the world and can't he just get along with everybody yo mick my man right, where are we? <laughs> yo like you looking for work hmm kind of well then look no further like i can get you into something sweet right let me just grab some cigarettes then we'll talk some business Okay. And I understand that's a cynical view, but at the same time, it has to be addressed, you know? It's just like when you're at work, you got that person that's just so happy all the time, and at some point you just want to be like, will you shut the fuck up? <laughs> sure. you know? But you can't have cynicism watching Crocodile Dundee. Hey, what about this one? My fellow Americans, let me make one thing perfectly clear. <laughs> that's funny, Ralph. <laughs> Who is it? It's Nixon. You know, Tricky Dicky. Nah, I don't know. Does he live around here? Rewatching today, I hadn't seen it since I was probably a kid. He raised the cocaine dealer's house and he gets all the, the kids to help him and the crew and everything. In my mind, that was the end of the movie. So you want us to charge down the guns, huh? Death before dishonor, all that stuff? No. I'm the only one that's gonna get shot at. What I want from you is a distraction so I can get in. And then it goes back to Australia. It does a reverse thing, and it's like, ah, oh, it was like a weird, I don't know if it was the pacing or if it was just the, the script, but I was just like, wait a minute, hold on. The drug dealer is still around. He's still trying to get his revenge. And also what I didn't like is love interest. Sue was kind of a hostage half of the movie. Who do you think you are? You hold me here at gunpoint, threaten to kill people, and then you act like you're some sort of a rock star? You're a drug dealer. Grubby little parasite. She really wasn't bouncing off of him like in the first one. At the end, they kind of do their thing a little bit. But to me, in the, in the meat of the movie, 20, 30 minutes there, she really wasn't a part oh, of it. She was definitely the Rapunzel in this situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The first one, that's what they appealed was to me, was their their connection and their their love story. So Definitely. I was kind of over it. Like It had those epic cues, but it just didn't interest me, man. Like, will somebody just kill these guys already and we can go fuck home? Do you know where they are? Yeah. About 500 yards that way, behind that ridge. How do you know that? Can't you smell it? They're sweat? 
Wally's aftershave. What I liked about it personally, and I actually do like part two a lot, I liked that the first one was pretty much a love story. There were a couple of moments that things happened, but even then the whole time it's about those two. This one, it was like him being like, well, shit, I got her and I'm not going to lose her. It gets darker and it's more of a, an action movie rather than that love story comedy. So that's what I liked about it because it's different. However, it does feel like a sequel. There's a lot of the same moments that are just regurgitated in the second one. Now that's a knife. There's just so many things that, that are just, oh, they did this in the last one, so let's do it again in this one, but we'll flip it. Once he finds out that she's been taken hostage, that like he doesn't really smile for the rest of the movie until he gets her back. And I like that. He gets real like serious. Yeah. And for me, that, that's like, oh, yeah, crack. <laughs> he flops it on its ass. And so then now it's Mick trying to absorb that emotion that she had for him. You know, it's shallow, but it's fucking deep at the same fucking time. Kozlowski's looking the same, just an absolute beauty. We don't see Wally until way later in the film. I will say one of the things I do like about this movie, outside of some of the gimmicky stuff, I think yes. there is a little bit better of continuity from one and two in these two films. But it also pays the price of kind of running together. Very in, much so, it does. In your memories, you know, like trying to place a scene in this one rather than that one. Vic, when I go back, why don't you come with me? What for? Well, make a great rap to the story. You in New York City? For the longest time, I thought the first one was in New York and the second one was in Australia. I didn't realize they both were in both. <laughs> yeah. The score wasn't as prominent in the second one either. They, they did have a cool, uh, you know. That song, you know, uh, <laughs> I did notice the score took a little bit of a backseat, which I hated. I was like, oh, man, but I, I, I swear I watched this one more as a kid. He goes Liam Neeson there for a little while, taken, yeah. and, and, you know, he's got the guy hanging off the roof with the rope, and then he slides down the building and breaks through the window. The window is like, like a badass. I do yeah. think that the first one is better as far as a film, what you get out of it, the way you feel by the end of it, but I do like the fact that we see more action from him in the second one. It really is just a true cat and mouse game. Mick knows the land, but they don't, and so it's, it's another fish out of water, you know, kind of kind of situation. What the hell is that? Uh, that is the mating call of the uh, Jarra Jarra bird. It's a very large native bird. It's very rare. Uh, meat eater has been known to take small children away. <laughs> but don't worry, it won't come near the fire. I was going to talk about the cameos. I'm pretty good at this, so bear with me. Um, Luis Guzman. Waiting. <laughs> the goat. And Boogie Nights and all them. He's one of the henchmen. Okay, so let me tell you about this little game we play. I assume Monty went over the basic idea with you, right? You okay with that? What are you, some kind of a fucking sick, demented pervert, huh? huh? The, the subway tour guide. Get this, is Susie Sussman from Curb Your Enthusiasm. You want to explain yourself? Would you like to tell me what I need to explain? Well, I just got off the phone with Jane Kleinberg, and she told me she saw you in a car with another woman. Well, do you know who that woman is? No, I do not. She is a realtor. Yeah. And I am looking for houses. Yeah, when she's, like, yelling on the subway. Right. That's, that's Susie Sussman, the guy who, who kind of assimilates into the gang that's wearing a tuxedo. That's Colin Quinn of uh, Saturday Night Live fame. Oh, wow. Uh, what's his name? Jimmy James from News Radio. Uh, Milton, yeah. yeah. I love him as an actor. I think he's fantastic. I, I don't care if they lay me off either because I told I told Bill that if they move my desk one more time, then, then, I, then I'm quitting. I'm going to quit. He's so good. There is a few in there, though. One of my favorite character actors of all time is uh, Charles S. Dutton. I love anything he does. Uh, the Rock TV show, loved it when I was a kid. Rudy and Alien 3, like anytime I see him, I'm like, that's Charles S. Dutton. You're five feet nothing, a hundred and nothing, and you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also gonna walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. What are we rating it, man? What are you giving this one, man? What do you got? Part two? Uh, I'm definitely going to go 8.5 for me on part two. Don't feel bad about your ratings. I, my favorite Mission Impossible is number two, so I get a bunch of shit for that. Then we are like-minded dudes. John Woo for life, baby. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. 
Do you want to go do karate in the garage? Yup. I know that it shouldn't be that high. It just does something for me and Linda, man. You know? <laughs> like I said, it's not as good as the first one. I gave the first one a mid eight. So I'm going to give this just a straight 7.0. If you took out how good the first one was, if this was a standalone, it'd be pretty good. It would be crazy. He's definitely riding the coattails of the first one. And it shows there's, I think, you know, six-year-old Ryland probably liked this one more because it had more action and shit in it. I think that's probably why I gravitated towards it more as a kid. But now looking back, watching them back to back, you know, one kicks its ass. But two is still a good, solid installment. So what do you think, Charles? This one just didn't hit for me, man. I was just getting bored. It's the same ticks over and over again. And I've like, I've seen this. If I had the time, you know, from release to release, it probably would have been better. But as a double feature, you I watch them back to back. One is significantly better. You should be comfortable. Everything's here. There's a TV if you get bored. Oh, uh, television. Yeah, I saw that Darky Johnson's place years ago. Yep, that's what I saw. And so I'm going to give this like a like a 5.8, man. I got bored. I probably will never watch it again. It's such an easy movie to absorb. You can really just kind of come in and out. Oh, that's that part where you see her ass. Oh, that's that part where, you know, whatever. It's kind of like Terminator 2. You're just going to enjoy from where it's at. And I love that. How fun was that, though, Charlie? Bobby, thanks again, bro. That was fun to, to get you on, and I hope we do it again. We always invite our guests back. Man, you guys I, are super cool to talk to. And good luck to you, sir, and we'll, we'll, we know we'll be seeing each other further down the road. So, for Bobby Williams and Rylan Johnson, my name is Charlie Thompson, and we have been spitting the real shit. We'll see you guys next time. Peace out. Peace. Rylan, what you got, man? I've been doing all the talking for the last, like, 15 minutes. Oh